Why do we say that God created out of nothing? Is God a being like any other being, only bigger? Does God relate to creation in the way that I relate to my car? Or is God intimately involved in every moment of our existence? And what difference does it make to see our own existence as a gift? Welcome to Talking Theology, a podcast of Cranmer Hall Durham, where we explore some of life's big questions and try to join the dots between theology, church and the world. I'm your host, Philip Plimming, and in today's show I'll be talking to Simon Oliver, the Van Mildert Professor of Divinity in the Department of Theology and Religion at Durham University and Residentary Canon of Durham Cathedral. His most recent book is Creation, A Guide for the Perplexed. So our question today is... Why do we need a theology of creation? Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Simon Oliver, welcome to Talking Theology. Thank you very much. Did you always want to be a theologian? Did it sort of come to you early on, or tell us a little bit about how you ended up doing your present role? Uh, Me being a, a professional theologian is a huge surprise to me i've got no idea how i got here really um so i i I discerned a vocation to ordination in my mid to late teens and i really just wanted to go and be a parish priest and uh i'd done a first degree in not in theology in another discipline and went to train and i got really captivated by academic theology um really enthused by it and when I was when I was doing my theology in Cambridge, I wasn't thinking, you know, this is abstract, uh, rarefied stuff that against all the odds I've got to make work in the parish and the pulpit. I was there in the late 90s um, and I, I learned so much um, and I thought I cannot wait to, to, to teach this. And at the time, I suppose I thought I was going to be teaching it predominantly from the pulpit and living it with people in church communities. Um, but there was a real enthusiasm that theology was, Christian theology was um, becoming much more confident um, in its own coherence, its place within the academy and what it had to say in the public domain as well. And I enjoyed it so much and, and was reasonably good at it. And so I thought, well, I'll carry on. Uh, I was ordained, but then did a PhD and and I really enjoyed writing. I really enjoyed teaching. And I thought, well, I'll carry on till someone tells me to stop. No one's yet told me to stop. So here I am now. Um, but I, I think I have a particular post here in Durham that allows me to combine pastoral ministry within a particular church context, which is Durham Cathedral. That's a, a small part of my working life. The main part of my working life is in the university. But I'm teaching students of all different kinds um, most of them uh, certainly at grad- postgraduate level in some kind of Christian ministry some kind of church work undergraduates who are going to into all kinds of disciplines uh, all kinds of um, of careers and and it's a wonderful opportunity to teach people about this rich long deep and fascinating tradition of Christian theology and philosophy and was that a story for you as you were growing up? Did you grow up in the context of faith? And Yes, I did. My, my um, father was in the church. My maternal grandfather was a, a Church of Scotland minister. 
and so it's in the genes. So it's, or... It was it was in the genes, but um, but when I told my dad that I wanted to explore ordination, uh, he was shocked. He he was actually uh, sat on the edge of a sofa at the time with a plate of food at a post baptism party, and he he fell off and spilt the food all over the floor. And he was very, very surprised. I think he expected me to go and do something like law or medicine or something like that. Um, but, of course, you know, he's been a fantastic role model, still is, and uh, and a huge support. But I, I think he's he was certainly very bemused by the idea that uh, the next generation may go into the church as well. Now, today's topic we're looking at is creation, mm-hmm. Simon. And yep. a lot of people, when they think about or hear about a theology of creation, they think of science and evolution and that sort of thing. And we've already explored that on this podcast series with David Wilkinson. But you see the doctrine of creation as something kind of different and much bigger than that. Is mm-hmm. that right? And tell us more about it. So I, I think the theological doctrine of creation is, is simply not uh, coterminous with what science says about nature, um, what do you mean by that? So the, the science typically um, deals with natural processes. So it, it deals with the evolution of species. It deals with one thing becoming another. The how. Of, that, the yeah, how, if yeah. you like. Um, and the doctrine of creation as it emerged in the early church is tr- tries to distinguish very clearly from that kind of natural philosophy or science as it became the how one thing becoming another and said and started to ask the question well what what's what's the basis of existence itself you know why is there something rather than nothing you know um why could there be anything other than god if god is perfect eternal replete you know blissful why would god create why would there be something other than god and that was the driving question in in the first and second centuries and i think that they were also working in an intellectual context in the mediterranean where there were all kinds of philosophies and you know with with wonderful exotic names stoicism gnosticism and so on and some of those philosophies were saw matter material nature bodies physical things as as somehow the result of a fall you know, these were things that we had to escape from. They were somehow a mistake. They were or, a mistake, yeah, yeah. or we had to lift ourselves up into a mm. spiritual, non-material realm. And of course, for, for Christian theologians, that was always going to be problematic because God had become material because the Word was made flesh. So the material had been sanctified. It had been deified. And so they wanted a very positive sense of our own material nature of our bodies of our physicality and and of course we know that christianity is a very physical religion our you know our liturgy our sacraments our worship what we do with our bodies matters we 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 have bread wine and water and oil at the heart of what we do so what they were interested in was well does matter come from god as well Mm. um and if God is immaterial, God himself is not material, how, how can that be, you know? And so they came up with this really, I think, fascinating idea, but absolutely fundamental to, to Christian theology. It's, it's not uncontroversial, but I think it's critical that God, if we're going to talk about God creating at all, we have to talk about God creating out of nothing. Okay, so, so what that claim means is that 
Um, God is the source of the existence of absolutely everything, space, time and matter. And God doesn't create the universe out of something that's already there. He doesn't rearrange stuff. He's not moulding something. He's not moulding something that's already there. And what this does for the Christian theologians of the of the first centuries is it distinguishes God's act of creation from all our acts of making. So when I make something, I you know I make a pot. I take some clay that's already there, and I mould it into something else. That's that's one thing becoming another. And that's an act of making within creation. But God's act of creation is not an act within the created order. It's the bringing into existence of the created order. And it's not God turning one thing into another. It's God being the source of existence itself. Okay. Okay. Um, So, and this has a whole series of implications. Let's come back to those implications. As that doctrine emerged, ex nihilo, out of nothing, yeah. that God created, what were the scriptural kind of resources that the early church went to when they were kind of yeah. really clarifying this doctrine? Well, th- this is really interesting because creation ex nihilo, I, I think, emerges very early in the church. And in fact, it's already there in um, Hellenistic, so Greek Judaism as well. Right. Um, and it's a view of creation that comes to be shared by the Jewish tradition, but also by the Islamic tradition as well. So all three faiths share this common view that if we're going to talk about God creating, we talk about God creating ex nihilo, out of nothing. Now, in terms of scripture, it's often said that God created the universe ex nihilo is not there verbatim. It's not there word for word. And that's that's true. And indeed, if we read the first verses of Genesis, it looks as if God is ordering a pre-existent chaos, that there's something already there. So, so the standard English translations of the Hebrew text will say, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, there was darkness over the face of the deep. There was something already there. And how we understand that, first verse of Genesis is is interesting because the Greek translation of the the Hebrew, the Septuagint from the 3rd century BC, simply says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't say when. It doesn't say in the beginning when. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that phrase is exactly the same as the phrase that's used in the first verse of St. John's Gospel, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. It's arche in Greek, from which we get archaeology and so on, the origin. So th- this is a beginning, a fundamental beginning of things. So it's it, it's not clear in Genesis 1 that we necessarily have to understand creation as God ordering a pre-existent chaos. But anyway, my view is that the, the priestly author of, of Genesis 1 is not really interested in the metaphysics of, of creation and, and, you know, in the philosophy of it, if you like. Genesis 1 is interested in the goodness of creation and its variety and its ordering, not its origins. Origins is a question that comes a little bit later. Mm. But what what's also clear, I think, is that 
in the New Testament, we have a whole series of texts that form a very coherent view that God is the source of absolutely everything. Mm. So we have, you know, for from him and through him and to him are all things, Mm. Romans 11. We've got, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things, uh, from whom come all things and for whom all things exist. Okay, 1 Corinthians. Um, And to make everyone see that what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages is God who created all things, Ephesians 3. So all the way through the New Testament, there is this this conviction that we have to talk about God as the source of all things, and that must include then space, time, and matter. Um, And what's there for, if if you're saying that really from those within that, Mediterranean um, hotchpotch or melting pot of ideas. The the early theologians affirmed with confidence that God created out of nothing. Mm-hmm. There was no pre-creation yes. that God moulded. And they articulated that with such confidence, drawing on those scriptures that you've just mentioned and the other thought. What were the implications then that they began to... Okay hold to and perhaps that have come down to us today right well firstly when when we read the theologians of of the early church they're absolutely focused on a critical question how do you distinguish god from creation how do you distinguish god from creatures Mm. because if you if you're not clear about Mm. that distinction we start to talk about god as if god were a creature or a thing in that tree over there, in that tree yeah, over yeah, there, yeah. or whatever, yeah. um, or you know, God's just a very, very big, powerful being amongst yeah. other beings. Yeah. You know, yeah. and they're sure that if we're going to talk about God, we can't talk about God in those in those sorts of terms. That would be idolatrous. God, if we're going to talk about God at all, we have to talk about God as being the source, the ultimate, eternal source of everything that is not God. Yeah. So the so. Creation ex nihilo distinguishes God's act of creation from any all our acts of making. That's the first thing. But secondly, it it also allows them to convey the importance of divine freedom. Now, when you and I make something, we're 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 constrained in some way. So, if you're making a pot out of clay, you're constrained by the clay. You have to sort of you wrestle with it, you work it. There are some things you can make out of the clay. There are some things you can't make out of the clay. You know, even if you're doing something, an imaginative piece of work like writing an essay, you're you're still sort of constrained by your own limits because you're molding something. Now, if we're going to say that God doesn't have to contend with anything that's already there. You know, he doesn't have to mould anything, wrestle with it. Uh, you know, he's not, he's not li- reliant, he's on, not reliant yeah, on it. Yeah, he's yeah, absolutely not reliant on it. He's not limited by it. Then if God creates from nothing is the source of everything, he creates in ultimate freedom. Mm-hmm. You know? But also, and this is the critical thing, God's act of creation is completely peaceful. Mm. Right? In, in the sense that he... he Nothing resists God. There's nothing there to resist God. When I make a pot, the clay resists me. I have to press it. 
have to work it with my hands. I have to mould it. There's a kind of... It's, it's sort of artists will say, you know, you've got to persuade the material. There's, there's nothing there that contends with God. So it, it's, an ult, it's an ultimate act of peaceableness and, and divine freedom. And, I mean, the, the other implications are, are quite remarkable as well. I mean, I think probably most importantly is the implication that in and of itself, creation is nothing. It only exists in relation to God, who holds it in existence at every moment. So the, this is a weird thought, but every moment, this moment, as we're sat having this conversation, is just as much ex nihilo, out of nothing, as any other moment. And that resists the idea, therefore, that God created the universe back then, yep. set it going, but now he's up there just yep. watching. Absolutely. And what you're saying is that the, the, the view that we need to have of God's relationship with creation is of a, a God surrounding that whole creation yep. with his being yep. and holding all of, as you say, every creative moment Absolutely. within his own presence. And, and that sort of... That, how does that challenge? What are the ways in which you find that challenges the views we often have about God and creation? I mean, you've... Well, I mean, one common picture that we that we have, uh, and it's it's a very seductive idea, is that when God creates, there's one thing, God, and then He creates, and then there are suddenly two things, God plus creation, mm. kind of standing alongside each other, yeah. or God somehow peering in yeah to creation the watching yeah poking here and there and that's a it's a very recent idea that's you know it's it probably originates in the 17th and 18th centuries that god's relation to his creation is very like my relation to the car i make or drive or something like that you know it's a kind of machine that he tinkers with and the i think the more traditional theology doesn't want to say that there's one thing God and then suddenly two things God plus creation standing alongside each other. What they want to say is that there is only one really eternally and truly existent uh, being, and that is God. And we only exist because we share in that. We participate in it. We, we, we sort of borrow existence from God, if you like. And the reason they want to talk about that is that they, they creatures are what they call contingent and what they mean by that is that we don't explain our own existence we might not be you know we might not be you can't explain my existence simply by referring to me simon yeah. i i i always you know because of my changeableness because of the fact i might not be i sort you look for something else you know why is there why is there this person why is there this creation it almost throws you out and says, what why is there this something rather than nothing you look for an ultimate source of of existence of of creation and um and so that's that's really the picture that they they want us to have is we exist by participating in god's existence because he exists in and of himself eternally and we sort of share in that and that strikes me as quite a uh, a challenge or at least a, a difference to a quite a, a, pre, a prevailing modern thought which is that 
we kind of have to create ourselves yeah. via my social media account right. or the way yeah, I dress yeah, or the yeah, way I define yeah, myself. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm essentially kind of given a whole bunch of things, but creation's down to me. And what I hear yeah. you saying is actually, it's really understanding my createdness yeah. Yeah. that is key to understanding who I am. Is that yeah. fair? Yeah. I think that's absolutely right. It's culturally, it's so important at the moment as well, because um, I mean, what, what the doctrine of creation is really saying is that um, creation is fundamentally a gift. Mm-hmm. It's the donation of existence by God, mm-hmm. um, and it and it's utterly free. It's it's completely unnecessary. God doesn't need to create. You know, God doesn't realize anything in Himself by creating, because you know, if God is to be God, He's eternally replete and fulfilled. And so, this is simply a gratuitous act of love of of mm-hmm. sharing mm-hmm. the divine existence. Mm-hmm. So it's an act of love, and it's it's a gift, and there there are therefore givens, and um, it's not that the human person therefore is a kind of blank slate that you make of whatever you will. Um, you are given your being, someone to be. You know, you're you're given some some. You know, you are given an identity, a given a being to work out in fear and trembling. Um, but but to work out how to realise those givens in in the best way, in the most beautiful way. Um, so it's not that you know, and and that sets you free in the sense that it gives you a particular identity and person to be. Yeah, that, that's and that's the freedom really that the tradition talks about. It's the freedom to be someone. Mm-hmm. Who is given to you, mm-hmm. um, and and to celebrate that, to enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Um, so my givenness is not, therefore not a my physicality, who happen to be created, is not something from which I need to escape. No. But it's in something which I can rejoice as a gift, yep. because it reminds me of the one who has given me that yeah, gift. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, and we, we, you receive your life as a gift, and that makes all the difference in the world, I think. Mm, yeah. Can I say why I think it makes mm. all the difference in the world? Okay, so this is the, the standard example I use with my students. I have two items on my desk in my office. I, I have my computer, which I bought for my work, and it's very useful, and it's probably worth a few hundred pounds now. I could sell it on eBay. It's great. I, I wouldn't be without it. It's very functional. And it has a certain monetary value. I also have on my desk a pen that was bought for me and engraved by my brother when I was installed as a residential canon at Durham Cathedral. And that pen conveys something of my brother to me. You know, his our, our, our shared liking for rather traditional, beautiful things. His recognition of me as a writer and my job and my vocation. And so when I use my pen, I think of my brother. It it mediates a relationship. Now, the critical difference between the computer and the pen is that the pen is a gift. The computer is not. And the pen, in being a gift, it bears meaning. Not simply use. So it... It bears meaning in the sense that it points beyond itself to the giver mm. and binds the giver to the recipient. 
and it f- therefore mediates and, and forms a relationship. The computer is worth a lot more money, um, and it's very useful, but it's simply functional. It's an artefact. I could drop it out of the window, and it's entirely replaceable. I could go and buy another one. The pen is not replaceable. I could buy another pen, but it wouldn't be the pen. Now, the the pen also makes a, cla- a kind of moral claim on me as well, because I use it with care, I treasure it, I look after it, because it's, it's not replaceable. Um, sure, I could get another pen, but it wouldn't be the pen my brother gave me at that particular mm-hmm. time that's so significant. And so it, it does... It does you know, have a very different claim on me. Now, the question is, is your life more like the computer or is it more like the pen? Now, if we're saying that your life is created and therefore is a gift, it mediates a relationship. It mediates a relationship between you and God, but also your life then bears an intrinsic meaning. Mm -hmm. And your vocation then really, the whole Christian spiritual life is working out what that meaning is how your life signs the divine, its divine mm. source. And um, so our lives are not simply, as creatures then, are not simply functional. Um, they're not simply brute facts. And critically, human beings are therefore not replaceable because we're unique mm. and therefore of infinite value. But infinite value as gifts to ourselves. You know, my... my um, Colleague John Milbank says, "You know, you are as a creature, you are a gift of a gift to a gift. Yeah. It's a, you know, yeah. it's an extreme. There's, there's nothing outside of that giftedness of creation, um, and therefore, the creation has an intrinsic meaning as a gift, and an intrinsic moral worth as a gift, and all that you can trace back to creation ex nihilo that yeah. God gives existence. So the givenness and the giftedness." go hand in hand absolutely yeah yeah. absolutely simon you've uh uh, set us thinking in ways that we could continue for uh uh, much longer but but let me just come back to the the journey you've been on Mm. as a as a priest but also as a husband a father and uh and obviously a, a theologian what what does the doctrine of creation, ex nihilo, doctrine of creation as gift, what does that mean for you on your daily walk of faith and discipleship? Um, well, I think it, it's important to say that at one level it challenges me pastorally because I have encountered in my ministry um, people for whom life is not a gift but a burden. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, is is a very common experience yeah. for those of us who are involved in the pastoral care of God's people. And and I think what I'm compelled to do is is look at why our experience might lead us to think of life as a burden, and not to accept that as as just a fact, but as something that's not right. Um, it may be that you know someone in with with a chronic long term illness, for example, in pain. Yep, absolutely, life has become really burdensome. But the, I think the pastoral question then is: Well, not take that as a as a brute fact, but say, 
well, how can we return a sense of giftedness um, by mutually caring for mm. each other, by attending to each other, by staying with each other, so that a, a sense of the giftedness of life, even in tragic human experience, can still be maintained mm. as an aspect of Christian hope. And that, of course, is is enormously difficult, and we only can begin to think about that by the grace of the Spirit, really. But that's just an experience of pastoral ministry in the church. That's how it is. We can't, we've got no power of ourselves to help ourselves. So I think that's the, that's the one thing, is, is not to be glib about this and to, to say that it has to be realistic about the breadth of human experience. But, but also, I think, um, you know, thinking about giftedness is so important both for individuals but also the church. The notion of gift is, is writ right through the New Testament. The church is the community of the gifted, the, the, the many and various gifts of the Spirit. And the, the Holy Spirit is spoken of by many theologians in the tradition as the donum in Latin, the given. Thomas Aquinas refers to the Spirit as the gift. That's the proper name of the Spirit. And so what what we're looking for at a time when we're so obsessed in the church about finances is well you know what what gifts do we have you know what what are the what's the rich array of gifts that the spirit is bestowing on the church um and and see that that giftedness uh, as rich as abundant as not lacking yeah it's not absent um we have we we may be poor in money many things but we but we're rich hmm. and abundantly blessed in others and you've got to learn to see that um, being aware of that on a daily basis can be truly transforming. It can be. Yeah. It really can be. Um, and and attending to it carefully. Um, but also, I think for, for all of us, every one of us, every person is gifted in, in some really important and unique respect. And um, And what you do with that gift is just so important because... The, the critical thing is you you have to receive yourself as a gift this is this is the thing and where how does that happen well it fundamentally it happens in thankfulness yeah in gratitude in eucharistic living if you like but this is why st paul is is so constantly says in the letters and be thankful and be, and thankful, be thankful and be thankful because if you don't receive your life as a gift with thanks then strangely it turns to ash, it stops being a gift. It just becomes a brute fact. So you have to return to God something. And the only thing we as creatures have to return is is our thanks, is our praise. That's that's all we can do. Because we've got nothing else that we've not already received. And so Paul says, what do you have that you have not received? Why then, why then do you boast as if it were not a gift? Yeah. So... Um, and this is what establishes the reciprocal relationship with God, what draws us in. The gift of your being, the gift of your person, that's unique and utterly precious and infinitely valuable, such that God died for you. What's your response to that? Is it to walk away or is it to say thank you and then you're into a relationship? Simon, that's a wonderful place on which to end today thank you very much indeed for appearing on Talking Theology thank you for having me 
You have been listening to Talking Theology, a podcast from Cranmahal, Durham. Cranmahal is a theological college within St. John's College in the University of Durham, training people for ministry in the Church of England and other denominations. Find out more about us at cranmahal.com.